1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a more market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll do my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate you. So call me at one 800 743 or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, this market is the most feast Or famine market I have ever seen. Either the world's ending (laughs) or everything's going to be just fine. House of pleasure. No middle ground. Problem is, that's a terrible way to invest. You have to try to keep a level head. Not too negative, not too positive. That's how you handle days like today where the average is open down. Big before recovering. Dow only gaining 158 points. Ah. s and uh, climbing 0.83%. The Nasdaq jumping 1.43%. It was down so horribly. Wow. Let me break it down for you. This morning at 4 a.m., this market looked horrendous. It was down 1,000 points. Why? Nobody really knew. We heard it was because of COVID spikes in Texas and Florida and Arizona, more than an outbreak in China. I was watching the tape, and it was all about the same, the big declines in Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise, Carnival, Apache, United, Continental, Southwest, Coles. Everything got crushed last week, everything that always trades before uh, the market opens. Why don't we just call them the usual suspects? That's the new playbook for all the novice investors who've crowded into the market lately, the newbies. If they see the futures lower, they sell the recovery stocks that I just read to you. If the futures are higher, they buy them hand over fist. It's almost laughable. Pajama traders who don't know jack because the early morning tape, right? They cause the early morning tape to go down. So the pajama traders cause it to go down. Then these newbies who know even less come in and sell this handful of stocks as a proxy for the futures. It's the blind leading the blind. They're treating the market like you bet on a football game. Let's say my beloved Philadelphia Eagles play the Chicago Bears. If you see the Bears are ahead, you sell the airlines and the cruise lines. If you see the Eagles flying, you buy those same stocks. It's one giant sports book. Of course, there's always been a casino-like aspect to the stock market. But even a real casino, there are games of skill and games of chance. You play roulette, it's pure luck. But now if you you saunter over to the blackjack table, there's an element of skill. Skill too. If you know the rules and your discipline, you can make the odds 51 in your favor to 49 for the dealer. When you trade stocks, you should approach it like blackjack, not roulette. There's absolutely nothing skillful about selling American air or Norwegian cruise when you see the futures headed lower. Yet that's what these traders keep doing because they assume down futures mean a down session. This is how you lose money. Now, listen, if you're one of these newbie day traders, I am not trying to ridicule you. I am actually doing the exact opposite. I just want you to leave the roulette table or the slot machines and start playing blackjack where you can rack up more consistent wins. No more games of pure chance, please. You're better off with games of skill. I really think, unlike my friend Lee Cooperman, who was on uh, Halftime with Scott Wadner, that we can avoid what happened in 2000. We can avoid what happened in, uh, in 2007. We can do it. Okay, so just look what happened today. Everyone who dumped stocks down 1,000 points earlier this morning had it dead wrong. They forgot that this market is a lot less binary than it seems. Look at it like this. There are 100 stocks in the Kramer COVID index. If you were really worried about a spike in the Sun Belt in Beijing crushing the whole market, you've learned nothing because we know that these 100 stocks, about $20 trillion in wealth, tend to go higher because of the pandemic. Would you really sell Zoom video if you think we're headed for lockdowns? As Zoom goes, so goes Zscaler. And CrowdStrike and Kramer Favre Ring Central. If COVID cases keep spiking, you should be buying one of those stocks. Don't hit when the dealer is showing a six, even if you have just a 15. If we were really afraid of a second wave, the healthcare stocks would have been doing much better today. I think Wall Street recognized that this virus is just way too contagious to be truly contained. We knew the reopening was risky. When those numbers started spiking, the averages plummeted last week. Remember the market's a prediction machine. This was already baked in. Now, if there were or had been a huge spike in cases in New York or New Jersey, areas that seemed to have the virus contained, well, that would be unexpected and the market might take a hit. But at the end of the day, stocks rarely go down on the same thing. That's too negative. You might have missed the, the electric move tonight in homebuilders with a, with a second leg that started with Lenar or the news that Apple's ecosystem – uh, this came in to me later today, Apple's uh, App Store ecosystem facilitated a half a trillion dollars in commerce in 2019. Well, 2019, that was a long time ago. Who knows how much 2020 is bringing, especially with the stay-at-home people, right, who've got nothing to do. That said, the negatives are real. This virus is a monster. It's made us afraid to fly, afraid to go out to a restaurant, afraid of air conditioning, afraid to stay at a hotel, made any kind of congregation a risk. It made a choir dangerous. That's horrendous for many businesses, especially restaurants and retailers, industries that employ millions of people. You have to wonder what the earnings will look like for all these companies that depend on people going to work, going out, and going traveling. I don't think it's going to be pretty. And that's why you also can't afford to be too positive. And it takes a lot of willpower for me to stop myself from going there. The too positive camp believes there's going to be a break in the pandemic, that someone like Regeneron will have an effective treatment that stops COVID-19 in its tracks or maybe even prevents you from getting it entirely. Game changer. If that happens, stocks will explode higher. I honestly believe we are going to have that happen, which is why I keep telling you that it's a bad bet to bet against science, something I've been lambasted for saying in The New York Times. It's actually one of the smarter things I've said. Anyway, sooner or later, we're going to get a cure or a vaccine, probably both. I've never seen so many drug stocks working on drug companies working on a single disease at the same time. It's almost every single major player in pharma. You've got to feel left out if you're not in it. It's a powerful contingent. Plus, the technology is so much better than it used to be. These days, we can use artificial intelligence to roll out compounds that won't work, something that might have otherwise taken months or years. And that's Jensen Wong from NVIDIA making the chips. You're going to stop Jensen? Jensen versus COVID. Jensen. I think we're going to get there, which is why I can't be too negative. I also don't know when that will happen because you've got to go through the clinical trial process that scale up manufacturing and distribute it where it's needed. Remember, and this pandemic will not end until all 7 billion of us are cured. Of course, many people feel that COVID is invincible. It keeps mutating, creating all sorts of new horrors. but we've seen worse. Regeneron beat Ebola, for heaven's sake. Maybe they can beat COVID. And even if Regeneron's drug doesn't work, there are so many other pharma and biotech companies in the mix that it seems nuts to go all in on the bear thesis. That's an informed bet. In blackjack terms, it's king ace. King ace. Uh, but it's a uh, 10 and a king with the dealer showing. Let's, no, let's put it this way. Let's, make this, let's, let's get this. If we have something good from Regeneron, it's two kings, okay? I don't know what COVID has, but two kings is a real good hand, all right, even if one of them is a suicide. Of course, if we do come up with a cure, then all these Kramer COVID stocks are going to collapse, which is why you need to have a barbell portfolio here with some of the better recovery stocks thrown in. That's blackjack for the cyclicals. Plus, it, it put it all together, and we're in a tough situation where a number of industries are really struggling. But it's not the end of the world. And eventually, one of these farmer biotech companies will come up with a way to beat it. So the bottom line perspective, you need to keep some perspective, particularly you newbies. Don't be dismissive of the pandemic. It's real and it's vicious, but also don't be dismissive of of everything our scientists are trying to do to beat this. you got to let yourself be a pessimist and a bit of an optimist at the same time. It's the only way to understand this moment. And newbies, this is for you. I love that you're in stocks. We're going to make you better. We are not going to denigrate you. We'll make you smarter. Stephen in Michigan. Stephen. Oh, yeah. Jim, how you doing? I am doing well, Stephen. How about you? Not too bad. So, the SeaWorld stock bouncing off of its lows of just under $7. And with the perch reopening last week, do you see room for SeaWorld to continue to grow? Or did I'd rather buy Disney. Bunch- I'd rather buy Disney. Buy some here. And if it goes down 10 more, you buy more. Disney is for real. SeaWorld, I don't know. I mean, I saw, you know, I, I missed one of those, those animals. That animal did, wasn't treated well. Orca? Not orca. That's a killer whale. Oh, yeah. You know. Okay. I don't know. I felt bad about that. Let's, A little sentimental. Let's go to Walter, North Carolina. Walter. you, Jim, from Wally in North Carolina. Well, I like Thanks. where you are. It's IBM. Thanks. It's Red Hat. What are we saying here?
2: Well, thanks for taking my call. I watch your show every night and have for many years. Really? The, the coronavirus virus has ruined the world's economy the past five months I know. and probably will for many more. People must eat and are beginning to go out now and shop. Walmart has the best prices in groceries and selection and other products than any of their competitors. Their parking lot is always full. The stores are large and accommodate right. hundreds of customers and stay so within So you're the probably wondering, why did, did
1: the stock break down? Well, I'm going to give you the answer. What's happened to all these stocks is that other stores are now open that were closed. So it was like they had no competition. Now they have some. Some people are freaking out. I'm with you. I would buy Walmart. I would buy some here and buy some later. And I'm going to go to Jeff in Texas. Jeff.
2: Hey, Jim. Jeff. How are you doing?
1: I'm having a good day. How about you?
2: Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, My question is about Bristol Myers, ticker Myers.
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, This is part. Let me tell you what happened here. My Chapel Trust bought some today. Bristol Myers is part of the, hey, we got to sell a company that doesn't do as well as a truck company. Because that's what you do when you think the economy's coming back. Bristol's always the first one to be sold. And that's when I buy Bristol-Myers. Dr. Giovanni Cavario is not going to let you down. It's a great combo. Buy Bristol-Myers. Right, people, keep some perspective. Be an optimist, but also be a skeptic. Okay? Same time. Opt constructive and skeptic. Everybody tonight. Customers are stocking their pantries with Campbell's iconic red and white cans of soup. I'm talking with the CEO about the resurgence of this 120-year-old brand. Then, an investment so bad it hurts. (laughs) I'm eyeing the rental car company and helping you make some sense of the latest equity offering. It's a doozy. And do the unknowns surrounding this market continue to make gold an appealing place to park your money? I'm eyeing Newmont Mining to see if it's worth considering. Stay with Kramer.
5: NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
1: How long ago, it looked like the package food trade was over. All over the country, states reopened for business, people stopped stockpiling, and investors lost their taste for the pantry stocks. But with this spike in COVID cases and the sun built, is it time to circle back to the packaged food stocks? And have anybody really left them to begin with, take Campbell's Soup. Earlier this month, these guys reported a phenomenal quarter, just a big top and bottom line beat. Management raising their four-year earnings guidance substantially. Wall Street's response? Eh! Campbell's stock actually fell 6% that day. It's been trading sideways ever since because of the rotation into the recovery stocks. But that rotation ended last week. Is it time to come back? Let's check in with Mark Klaus, the president and CEO of Campbell Soup, to get a better sense of how his company's doing. Where it's headed. Mr. Klaus, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Thanks, Jim. Good to be here.
1: All right, Mark, I have here in my hand some data. It's called IRI. It is tamper-proof data, and it shows U.S. dollar consumption and it looks like, and this is from June 7th, this is not some one-time-only pantry spike. These com- pe- Pepperidge Farm cookies, Snyder's of Hanover, Cape Cod, Kettle, these are all up. Campbell's soup up 20%. This is not the kind of stuff that
6: tells me it's over. No, I, I think you're right, Jim. I, you know, I think, and even if you go deeper down that list, you're going to see some soup numbers That are right around 20%. And that is the first week of June. Uh, Traditionally, perhaps not the time where you're seeing that kind of growth. But I think the reality is, is that even though we may be seeing some recovery and people returning to a little bit more normality, I think the behaviors that were built um, in this last several months have the real potential to continue to provide a catalyst for improved results. And even if the top lines slow a bit or the in-market results slow a bit, I think the elevated overall demand is going to continue to provide opportunity for company like ours to continue to connect and meet the needs of consumers.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mark, I think a lot of people discovered that it wasn't just that your soups weren't just filled with preservatives. And then a lot right. of other people, like my wife, discovered that you could take the cream of chicken and make a casserole out of it, that it, that this stuff was ripe for cooking, Things that you wanted to cook, not just what you wanted to heat up.
6: Right. I I think two big trends that you're seeing, um, not unlike uh, your wife, uh, her discovery is that, you know, soup plays a, a, a very important role in what we call quick scratch cooking. Right. So this is taking a couple simple ingredients, putting them together and making a meal. Uh, that you feel good about serving your family. And I'm you know, i very grateful for all the work that we did on returning focus to the core business before the, the virus uh, and the crisis hit. It gave us a great foundation to build off of as it related to strong quality messages on our products and also this orientation to usage. I think the other component of what has been occurring is a lot more in-home lunch consumption too. And if you think about the role of soup, whether it's tomato soup or chicken noodle, uh, as it relates to a quick meal, you feel better about what you're getting. And even in a moment like this, where it's a little warmer outside, uh, it's a pretty simple and convenient way to meet more of those in-home needs. Are the people in the
1: regions that are unfortunately now uh, suffering through a new wave in the South, is it a stock up right there again?
6: well that 's not exactly what we're what we 're seeing, although I do think we have to be prepared um, in a variety of different scenarios and I, I think for us, we are trying to to appropriately gauge uh, how demand is ebbing and flowing, but if we're going to err, we want to try to err on the side of having availability. You know, a little right. bit of the lessons learned from that first push. So although we haven't seen a dramatic shift back into that early pantry loading, we are trying to do the best we can to be ready for whatever that may whatever may unfold here in the next couple months.
1: All right, so I was asking around to people saying, uh, who do you think makes kettle chips? Who do you think makes Cape Cod chips? And people just said, well, Some guy, little guy, cattle, and some guy at Cape Cod is up in Cape Cod. That's brand. That brand's been around. Now they don't know that it's yours. Um, Do you not want them to know, or is that just the best way it should be?
6: You know, it's okay if they don't know. Uh, (laughs) What they need to know is how great of a product and an equity. And quality that's in those products. And if they happen to know uh, they're from Pepperidge Farm and Campbell's, uh, that's great. But if they don't, the relationship that we're really building is between that brand and those consumers. Uh, Hard, hard pretzels. It was. I mean, I understand your predecessor,
1: two predecessors ago. Hard pretzels are king. They really are. And Hanover owns the aisle. Now, I know you had to pay too much, but you've deleveraged to the point that it's no
6: longer crazy. Well, I I think we feel good about the addition of of that Snyder's Lance portfolio to our snacks business. And and although we may have seen some change in dynamics for where consumer demand has been in these last few months, the one trend that I think is going to continue to move right through it is snacking. And if you look at our portfolio on snacking right now, we feel great about how differentiated it is. You know, we play in a lot of major categories, but we also play with some very differentiated brands. So we may be in crackers, but we focus on better for you kids crackers with goldfish. And even in big uh, categories um, like pretzels, we've got a lot of innovation and opportunity to continue to build in as that leader. So that combination of leading positions, being in an advantage segments within large categories, I think sets us up really well to continue to see that trend of progress. And as we've been investing back behind the business and driving innovation, again, even in this moment... Of unusual uh, circumstances, I'm feeling great about the response, and I, I think that will I, I think you should. I mean, we had
1: Mondelez on. I like Mondelez very much. That's a snacking yeah. company. What they said is, "Listen, we're a snacking company. Don't lump us in with the pantry." Well, you know what? You're a snacking company, and I snack more on your stuff than I snack on their stuff because I don't. Yeah, I'm well, a big anti candy guy. You know what I mean?
6: Yeah. You're, well, I think you know the the great news is that there are a couple underlying trends like snacking and better for you. I, I know a lot of discussion of movement to comfort uh, as we were navigating the crisis. And I, and I do think we're seeing uh, that hold a little bit longer, but there's no question that consumers are going to continue to be health conscious. And that Absolutely. means, you know, transparent ingredient lines, products that bring some permissibility, especially to the snacking occasion. And, and we just have a really nice lineup uh, to be able to meet those you needs. Sure and as, as you know, it's 50%, Uh, of our portfolio now and so you know as we focus this business uh, i think we really are in a good position to bring an advantage proposition uh, to market both for consumers and for investors
1: i totally agree with you totally that's why it was a real break when the stock went down for new people to buy mark klaus the president and ceo of campbell soup great to see you sir thanks jim guys this is not the same campbell soup I mean, you can own this stock. They're doing so many things right, and they're going to continue to do things right. It's not just pantry stocking anymore. Bad Money Spectrum,
4: Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how VivGart, FGart Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y V G A R dot slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: wonder how crazy this market's gotten last week we learned that Hertz, the bankrupt car rental chain plans to do something unprecedented They're selling $500 million of new stock in their bankrupt company, even though that stock is probably worthless. All the regulators, all the authorities, they're letting it happen. Remember, Hertz filed for Chapter 11. They have $20 billion in debt. The company's basically being repossessed by the bondholders, which is why I keep telling you that it's insane to own the common stock. In bankruptcy, the shareholders don't see a penny until the bondholders are made whole. And even with this $500 million equity offering, that seems very unlikely. Basically, Hertz is selling shares in a stock that will soon be canceled. I would be very surprised if it doesn't go to zero. The House of Pain. And apparently the company would be surprised, too. When you read the SEC filing, they're crystal clear. Listen to this, quote, we we expect that common stock shareholders would not receive a recovery through any plan unless the holders of more senior claims and interests are paid in full, which would require significant and rapid and currently unanticipated improvement in business conditions to pre-COVID-19 or close to pre-COVID-19 levels. End quote. Translation. Unless the rental car business gets better real fast, real soon, the owners of the common stock will be wiped out. Hertz straight up says, quote, there is a significant risk that our common stock will be worthless, end quote. It can't be any clearer than that. So why in the world would anyone pay roughly two bucks where Hertz is currently trading for a piece of paper that's probably going to be uh, worth nothing in the not-too-distant future? It's simple. I've been thinking about it, mulling it over, thinking about all the things I learned about philosophy class, and I- I've come up with it. It's because they don't know what they're doing. I try to be a diplomat and elder statesman on the show. I'm never confused with Gandhi, but I'm there. And everything that's happening in Hertz right now is being driven by a contingent of novice investors with a desperate craving for single-digit stocks. They started crowding into Hertz a couple weeks ago when it was trading at less than a dollar, and they bid it up to more than 5 bucks last Monday for reality reasserted itself. I am sure many of those people, therefore, said it's been a successful thing. And, yes, you bought it for a dollar, you sell it, you're successful. Fine. But how insane was this move? Listen, when Hertz filed for bankruptcy, its stock plunged from $2.84 to $0.55 the very next day. Generally speaking, not many people want to own stock in a bankrupt company, given that the stock usually goes to zero. Then they issue a totally new stock to the creditors. It's absolutely nuts that these traders were able to bid Hertz up from $0.55 to more than $5 in a nine the weeks. These are the so-called Robin Hood traders. I think Hood gets a bad name because there's lots of companies that are like Hood. But, you know, let's quote me younger investors. I'm going to call them newbies from now on. Because I like that term, newbie. It's kind of like somewhat pejorative. The newbies who've only been in the game for a few months, who love speculation, who feel like geniuses because they bought a bunch of cheap stocks in March and April, that quickly rolled off their lows. They're involved. In late May, 44,000 Robin, Robinhood users owned Hertz. Now nearly 170,000 own Hertz, making it the third most popular stock on the platform over the past week, as measured by the number of new owners. There's so much speculative interest in this thing that it's changed the ordinary calculus of bankruptcy. Hertz saw how these Robin Hood investor traders were bidding up its stock. So they decided decided to take advantage of all this, all the newfound demand. The bankruptcy judge let it happen as long as the company disclosed that the stock's likely worthless, taking a buyer beware, caveat, emptor approach to the market. And listen, I don't want to be too hard on Hertz or the judge. Hertz is broke, which is why they filed for bankruptcy. There's a chance this money could save a lot of jobs. I like that. As for the judge, it's not her job to keep worthless stock out of the hands of the clueless investors. It's the clueless investors' job. Now, it's the SEC, though, I really think, that should have played a role. I've said before that Hertz continuing to trade is absurd. This equity offering is in a worthless stock takes the, that absurdity to new heights. The SEC should have stopped this, but the SEC has been abdicating its responsibility for ages because of a philosophy, a philosophy change. They're about laissez-faire. OK, it's lazy, laissez attitude, and I find it painful. The New York Stock Exchange moved to delist the stock, but Hertz appealed. So that's still up in the air. I think it gets delisted before it goes to zero. So when the SEC refuses to do its job and the bankruptcy judge who cleared this offering says, buyer, beware, you should probably be aware. That's why I want to lay out the case against owning Hertz in a little more detail, because I don't want anyone to get hurt here. And if it goes up 25 cents, people are going to say, Kramer kept me out of it. That Kramer, he's the son of a get on Kramer. He's not even growing on me. All right, first off, sometimes you can make money betting on a bankrupt company as long as we're talking Chapter 11, not 7. If all the creditors can be paid off in full and there's something left over, then the shareholders can get a piece of the new business. It's happened. In 2009, Bill Ackman made a fortune betting on the bankrupt general growth properties, but general growth properties had more assets than liabilities. They had to declare bankruptcy because of a liquidity crunch caused by the financial crisis. That's simply not the case with Hertz. When you go over the balance sheet, Hertz has about 20.5 billion in debt. Most of that backed by their cars, though roughly 4 billion is non-vehicle, unsecured debt. What are the odds that all of the uh, that all the creditors are made whole here? Look at all this debt, huh? These guys are all ahead of you if you own the common stock. Look at the bond market. This tends to be smarter in the stock market. When the people expect bonds to be fully repaid, those bonds trade close to what's known as par, which is genuine Wall Street shippers for 100. But one glance at this chart of Hertz' various bonds show you that they haven't been anywhere near close to par, OK, since early March. In fact, Hertz' unsecured bonds are currently trading at roughly 50 cents a dollar. That's 50 cents on the dollar. That's... Um, let's just say, uh, up substantially from where they were trading, okay, Uh, but the mob market's still saying it would take a miracle for the creditors to be made whole. Again, there's a pecking order here in bankruptcy. Shareholders, they're down here, okay? You got all this stuff ahead of you, all right? Remember that when you buy this common stock. If there's nothing left after the bond guys get paid back, the shareholders get nothing. My back-of-the-envelope math suggests that they need to, to raise at least $2 billion to get there but they only expect to raise $500 million from the new equity offering. But if Hertz could raise that kind of money, well, they wouldn't be in this position. Of course, I doubt most of the speculators who crowded the stock have done much homework on its balance sheet. But you know who has? Have about Carl Icahn, legendary activist investor who bought a big stake in Hertz in 2014. After the company declared bankruptcy, he dumped 55 million shares at $0.72 cents apiece. Icahn owned 38% of the business. Presumably he knew something about the company. Now, Maybe you believe the economy is rap- improving so rapidly thanks to the reopening that Hertz will be able to make a miraculous recovery. I'm telling you, that's a mistake, too. Hertz is levered to travel and travel's not bouncing back. Too many of the locations are near airports when not many, many people are using them. Hertz needs a vaccine by April of 2020. So please, I'm begging you, don't own Hertz or any other bankrupt company and absolutely don't participate in this loony equity offering. The bottom line, when a company files for a stock offering and says they're selling stock that's probably worthless, believe them. I understand the allure of penny stocks. There's probably some clown who'll come in above you and buy the stock and take you out because there is a sucker born every minute. But you might as well light your money on fire in comparison to owning the common stock of Hertz. That might be a bargain. Carlos in California. Carlos. Hi, Jim. Carlos. What's your take on Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E? Sometimes things are too hard. That requires someone who will really just spend hours and hours and hours on that. We did a lot on Hertz, but this PG&E, I've tried, and it's just too— sometimes you just got to own the fact it's too hard. That one's too hard for me. All right, let's go to Jose in Texas. Jose. Hey, yo, Jimmy Chill. How's it going? The Chill Man is good. How about you? I'm doing great, doing great. So I got a question for you in regards to SIG. Signet yeah, Lewis. Signet. Yeah. So this company recently announced roughly around 380 stores
2: closing. Mainly some of these are underperforming stores in the U.S. and Canada. COVID caused this stock to just fall off a cliff around, around February March. Yeah. They had a great holiday sales in 2019 and a strong Valentine's Day in 2020. I'm personally holding this stock with an average price of 7 bucks. In your opinion, is this a buy, sell, or hold going into the You know,
1: 2021? I was charred by that dividend suspension. I didn't like that because they were paying a very, very big dividend. Uh, I'm not crazy about uh, what I regard as being uh, of the the fact that they have to s- close so many stores. But if Gina Drosis gets all the stores closed that she needs to, then it's a buy. And she has to walk a fine line because she can't trigger a lot of these uh, covenants to get out of to get out of malls. But I think she's a survivor. I think she's a survivor, and I think the company's a survivor. Alright, guys, I had a simple message for you. The people who own Hertz, you're really hoping someone is so much dumber than you are. And I I do not mean to like cast dispersions on that. look, I was I was tracked in the dumb class. I was, for four years. And by my it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. I was down there, you know, doing my business. You are hoping someone like me, when I was in fifth grade, is gonna come in and take you. OK, it'll be like a fifth grade Jim Kramer is looking to buy something that he doesn't know anything about. you got to hope I'm out there. Don't own Hertz. Don't own any bankrupt company. It's as simple as not letting your money on fire or having a dumb Jim Kramer from fifth grade take your money. Now, there's much more, I mean, at a higher price, much more mad money ahead. Is Newmont Mining still shining bright as COVID-19? Unknowns continue to impact the market. I'm eyeing the luster with the CEO. By the way, this is my band. I got, I have my temperature taken. So far, so good. Uh, then why have Shopify, Facebook, and Etsy been such glorious stocks in the time of COVID? I'll tell you why. It all comes down to rent. And rent like a monopoly. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with... Kramer. Ever since the pandemic got rolling, I've been recommending gold heavily. I've always recommended since the show started, but heavily because gold is the perfect insurance against the economic chaos that we're experiencing. And while the precious metals are up 14 percent the year, it's been stalled for the past couple of months as the economy started reopening and Wall Street embraced the Awaken America trade. So what do we do with a best-of-breed gold miner like Newmont, the company created by last year's merger between Newmont and Goldcorp? These guys have a world-class portfolio of mines scattered across the globe, all really good areas. Newmont's the only gold miner in the SP 500. Aside from some uh, one-off issues like the temporary closure of a mine in Mexico due to COVID, this company has been handling the pandemic pretty darn well, although the last quarter was a little bit light. Still, the stock's up 35% for the year. How about you can't ask for more than that? Can it keep climbing? Let's dig deep with Tom Palmer. He is the president and CEO of Newmont to get a clear picture of how his company's doing and where gold might be headed. Mr. Palmer, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having us back again.
1: Of course. Okay, so Tom, I'm reading your uh, the May 20th, May 12th conference that you did at Bank of America. And you say what? there's no change in our strategy we run the business, assuming gold prices, at $1,200, and we run the business thinking yep. about the business over the long term. Now, gold's clearly much higher than 1200 Tell us why you run it as if it's 1200
2: Jim, I'm a, I'm a fourth-generation miner. I've uh, grown up, lived and worked in mining communities around the world, and I've seen the price cycle many, many times. And what we do at Newmont is ensure that we are running the business at the bottom of the price cycle. So we run our business assuming gold is at $1,200 and we're looking to improve margins and extend mine life at $1,200 and pay a dividend that is sustainable at $1,200. We pay a $1 annualised dividend. We lifted that by 79% earlier this year and we can sustain that dividend at $1,200. When you run a business with that rigour and discipline, you can work through every cycle in the commodity that you're in. What that provides then for Newmont and for investors in Newmont is significant leverage to the gold price. So for every $100 increase in gold price above $1,200, we generate $400 million of free cash flow every year. Jim, put that another way, if gold stayed at its current levels for the next five years, we'd generate $15 billion dollars of oh. free cash flow over that period of time.
1: Well, well, that is fabulous. But now you bought Goldcorp. One of the reasons why mm-hmm. we did sour on Goldcorp, sir, was because time and again Something would go wrong at their mines. It would be a flood. It'd be a fire. At one point, I just said, "Listen, it's job. I can't take it anymore." Now, there were a bunch of things that happened uh, in some of your mines this quarter. Uh, it looks like they're ba- uh, previous quarter. It looks like they're all back in production. But I am interested in one. You did have one that was closed by COVID.
2: Yeah, we actually had across our portfolio, Jim. We put five mines into care of maintenance through the first and second quarter. Uh, Some of them were were due to governments putting restrictions in place. Uh, Mexico, you mentioned earlier, was about government restrictions. Similarly, in Peru and Argentina. Up into Canada, uh, what we did when we responded to to COVID was was ensure that the the health and safety of our workforce and our local community was front and centre in every decision that we made. And we uh, moved a bunch of people uh, off our operating sites and we closed our offices globally. In fact, we had at one point 10,000 people across our business globally working remotely from home to protect their health and safety. And in a couple of instances up in Canada, our local communities, as we engage with them, were concerned about their vulnerability um, to the the spread of this infection. So we put our operations into care and maintenance out of respect for them and to protect their health and safety. But through this second quarter, we've been bringing all of those operations back up out of care and maintenance. So Second quarter will be low in terms of production cost as we move back out of care and maintenance. And then we'll hit our straps in the second half of this year and meet the target that we've set for the, for the 2020 calendar year. Right, so,
1: Tom, what, what are they wearing? What are they doing to be sure that they don't give COVID to each other?
2: We have a number of protocols in place and they're consistent across every one of our operations globally. We put in place uh, social distancing. So we have the separation between people as they're as they're working together. Uh, as they're getting meals from a a, a lunchroom or a a dinner room. When we run our meetings before we start a shift at work, people are separated by that social distance. We have screening of people before they come to work. We do temperature screening and we have them answer questionnaires about uh, where they've been. And we have a very rigorous cleaning regime around our business, ensure that all the surfaces, our accommodation rooms, our meeting rooms, cabins of trucks are all clean before another person gets on board. Uh, It's a very rigorous program that we've, you know, the same programs happening in Australia as it is in Mexico, as it is in Ghana. And it's working very, very well. We're uh, being able to manage and control the spread of infection very, very well.
1: So, Tom, of the areas that you're in, I'll tell you one area I'm Mm -hmm. worried about. I don't know about Argentina anymore. I mean, if Argentina is a failed state, what does it mean for Newmont?
2: We're in a, we're in a part of Argentina, um, very, very remote part of Argentina. So we're able to keep our operation up and running very nicely because of that remote location. We've got some logistics to manage, uh, to get people to and from, but we're able to manage that with a national government support, provincial government support and each local town supporting us as we, we look to keep our operation up and running. Fabulous deposit. It's one of those um, Goldcorp assets that we acquired. It's, it's a fabulous deposit uh, down there in Patagonia, a very southern part of, uh, of Argentina. We're excited about the potential of that operation, and we're pretty happy to be working in that part of the world. We think we can work through some of those, uh, those uh, constraints and restrictions we have currently.
1: In the meantime, uh, Nevada's great, huh?
2: Hmm. Nevada's going well. I think that uh, the joint venture that we uh, we did last year from my perspective, that was something that should have been done years ago. I'm pleased, Rowda, to, to bring both companies together and really release the, the value that comes from running those operations together. That benefits shareholders of both Newmont and Barrick. It benefits the communities of, of Northern Nevada. But for us, Nevada is just one of a number of world-class assets that we have in our portfolio. There's Nevada. It then sits alongside two big operations in Australia, a big one in Ghana, And a big one in Mexico. And they together form the backbone of uh, Newmont's production profile uh, for many years to come.
1: Now, I know uh, that Nevada is uh, asking for certain what I regard as ESG provisions. I know Mexico wants to go very ESG. Uh, It seems like that you have made this something that is a priority versus a lot of the other gold miners.
2: ESG. I mean, uh, Jim, Newmont, we turned 99 last month. uh, So we're in our 100th year. And um, we've learned a lot of lessons around how to, to run gold mines around the world over that period of time. And that very much informs our approach to ESG. We consider ourselves leaders in ESG. And I think the way that we were able to manage uh, the response to COVID reflects that. I mean, when you are very clear on your values and you understand that putting the health and safety of people above everything else, and ensure that you're there for the long term to support your workforce to support those local communities, that puts you in good stead going forward with, uh, with all of those governments and communities in which we, uh, which we live and work.
1: Well, Tom, you're doing a great job, and it's been a terrific stock you. since you got there, frankly, since you got there. Done a great job. That's Tom Palmer, President of Newmont Mining. And you know I like gold very much. You know I like Barrick, and I like Newmont. Stick with Kramer. Tonight at
3: 7 p.m., As pro sports leagues plan the return, reports of some players testing positive and others pushing back. What now? Plus, one business owner's new challenge inside Seattle's autonomous zone. And a new problem from the virus. Blood shortages. How the Red Cross is dealing with the issue. All tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner.
1: It is time. It's time for the light round. Rob to One of the super seats. And then the light round's over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's the light round. Chris Start with Rob in Ohio. Rob. Booyah, Jim. I'm calling today on American Power Corporation. With me. I am concerned because uh, James Tanklin is uh, not running anymore. I got to see the new CEO. I love Takelet. I thought he was fantastic. Went to Lockheed Martin. Let's go to Lu- Luis in South Carolina. Luis. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? All I'm right. There. How are you? So, Thank you. Great. I wanted to ask you about uh, Virgin Galactic. I don't like it. I know it's a big short squeeze all the way up. You can play that. It's too dangerous a game for me. How about Chase in Texas? Chase. What's up, chill? Not much here, partner. What's going on?
6: Not a lot. Shout out to Uncle David. He put me on your show. Absolutely. I bought Marga at 1194 it's up around $21, 22 How about this? What I, do? I want you to sell half
1: tomorrow. I don't even like targa. Let's go to Jeremy in Arizona. Jeremy.
6: Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I was wondering, what do you think about Aurora Canopy? Should I hold it for the long run or sell it now?
1: Uh, enough of the Aurora. I mean, you know I like the canopy best. This group is really just a short squeeze or not. I say uh, exit stage right. How about Lior in New York? Leor? Lior.
2: Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Just wanted to give a quick
1: shout-out to my brothers, Aaron and Iran, and my good friends. Yeah, I love Pino. those guys. What's up?
2: <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the new stock to the market, Nikola, sticker, NKL. Okay, Okay, I'm
1: going to confide in you that I did not get to see the interview that, uh, <laughs> that was done on Fast Money. So I've got to do more work. And I've got to tell you, this thing is as hot as a pistol, and there are a lot of people on Twitter trying to gun it every day, so I have to do more work on that stock. Jack and a Jack.
0: With Apple making her own chip, Jimmy, is it going to hurt Skyworks? Monster? No, not
1: at all. Skyworks has a fabulous 5G chip Said I'd buy it. Pearson in Texas. Pearson. Howdy, Kramer. How are you? Uh, great for asking. Thank you. Good. Um, I was just asking you about fuel cell. Is this Good. Here, cut, sell fuel cell. All right? Or at least sell half of it. Uh, and that way, the people who love fuel cell will not bombard my Twitter feed tomorrow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
1: And a woman stopped me on the street and says, I know you, I know you. And I'm thinking, well, she's watching me my You're Lennon's great, great grandson. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. She's a, you're L- Lennon. I all right, okay, I'm Lennon.
3: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
1: happens when millions of individuals and businessmen can't afford to pay rent? We're about to find out. There are already tons of companies that have stopped paying rent. So far, it hasn't become a huge deal because many commercial landlords insist on 3 months' security deposit. When you miss a month or two or three, you just burn through that deposit. But July will be month four. No more security deposit left. And it's not clear which companies will be able to make it. That's especially true in the restaurant industry, where social distancing can cut your revenues in half. Rent's the biggest bogey for small businesses. It's why all these e-commerce enablers like Shopify now part Wal- with, merged with Walmart somehow in some detail. Etsy, Facebook shops, even, by the way, eBay, that's why they've been so good. It's why Grubhub got a takeover bid. Anything that lets you operate online potentially saves you a fortune on rent. And unfortunately, the rent is too darn high. At the end of the day, most small businesses will struggle to survive here unless their landlords give them a break. And I've yet to hear a single concession from my contacts in the industry, and they are myriad. The repercussions will be huge, from food and liquor distributors to cooks, bartenders, waiters, something out of a job. Where are these kind of people supposed to find work? Unless rent is reduced, you're going to see a shocking number of boarded up storefronts. We can only put up so many Starbucks or Chipotle's. Unfortunately, Wall Street seems, well, Washington also, oblivious to this ticking time bomb. Because the wave of commercial evictions hasn't hit yet, but it's coming. So what actually happens when the smaller restaurants and retailers can't pay? We know Simon Properties, the huge mall owner, is already suing the Gap. Why not? Gap's got plenty of cash. But the fact is, Simon was planning to acquire Talbot, another mall owner, and they walked away because the, from the deal because Talbot's doing so poorly, meaning it can't collect from its tenants. We know Chipotle and Starbucks are playing hardball with potential landlords because they both bring in customers and can afford to pay on time. Makes sense, especially since there's about to be a ton of vacancies. Yet with retail doing so badly, Chipotle's and Starbucks are very much the exception. Their gain is someone else's pain. i got to tell you, the biggest false tell I've seen during this period was the reopening of Wynn Resorts and MGM. Their casinos look crowded and seem safe, but I know Wynn had to spend a fortune on safety to make that possible. You need deep pockets to have a reopening like that, which is why most restaurants can't just? wind brought in advisors to rethink the whole air conditioning system. They didn't want the virus getting everywhere through the vent- ventilation. The droplets. Most bars are just trying to put up dividers. The best of those dividers cost $1,000 apiece. For many operators, that's too much. So when the security deposit runs out next month and we have a tsunami of real estate defaults, the pin action is going to be ugly. There are mortgage bonds that will default. Can't pay the mortgage if your tenants aren't paying rent. Landlords will run out of cash. They won't be able to invest in their properties or add to the economy. Miles of empty storefronts. Most importantly, there will be evictions, many of them. Some will be stopped by the government, though I'm betting most of them get through. What comes after that? I hope it's a vaccine. Otherwise, I'm not sure. And I really don't want to find out. Stick with Kramer. When rates are going to stay low a long time, and there are a lot of people who don't want to live in cities, that is fantastic news for outfits like Lennar, for Pulte, for Toll. And it's starting to come out that way. Lennar's numbers were spectacular. These companies can make a fortune in a low interest rate environment, and that is just what they're doing. They're a nice split, an in-between split between COVID and no COVID, and I think that that's a nice place to be. I do like Toll. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At
4: Capella University.